All right, folks, welcome to Nino's Corner.tv. I think this will make fluff tube, depending on what we say. Um, if it doesn't, uh, you'll catch it on Nino's Corner.tv. Um, I have, say your name, sir. My name is Jean Francois Gariepi. Jean Francois Gariepi. How's that? Exactly. Did Very I say good. it right? I did Jean Francois Gariepi. Yes, absolutely. All right, good enough. All right, folks, so that's who I have joining me right now. And, um, we're going to be talking about, we are going to be talking about Phenotype, his book, first of all, and the revolutionary Phenotype, how life emerged on the planet and the emergence of art of, and the emergence of artificial intelligence and what that means for humanity. And uh, before we get into that, folks, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a very interesting interview. Uh, let's get some noble gold, folks. You know, I invest in noble gold. Just as King Charles III of Britain has a crown with timeless wealth of gold, you can enrich your future with an enduring value of a gold IRA. Uh, like those precious crowns, a gold IRA doesn't tarnish over time. It shines brighter in economic turmoil. Uh, it's a hedge against inflation and stability in volatile markets. This month, the first solid one-fourth ounce gold standard bullion coin ever issued with Charles III's image can be yours with your own qualifying gold IRA. Or 401k rollover of 50000 or higher. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. Hurry and go to noblegoldinvestments.com or hit the link below, folks. Hit the link below. All right. Jean-Francois. Um, let's do this. This is interesting to me because I know where AI is going. I'm watching it. I'm seeing things happen now. Self-driving cars. Uh, robots the whole thing i mean i don't think terminator was too far off with their predictions what what's going on man Let, let's start first introduce your book uh and let's go into how life emerged on the planet how you believe it emerged on the planet and then where you think it's taking us now all right so i wrote the book the revolutionary phenotype the amazing story of how life begins and how it ends i wrote this in 2018 to launch a call of warning to humanity that the path we're on is not just fun and uh, healing people and making people better and making society more efficient. The path we're on is one of absolute self-destruction. And we are about to play with human civilization in a way that is absolutely certain to lead to our destruction. And my book was basically, was not based on observations of current AIs, because in 2018, the AIs didn't have much interesting things to do. They, we had Google, of course, they were efficient at chess, that was impressive. But back then, we didn't have AIs that basically replace fundamental aspects of, of human inputs into culture. Uh, now we're starting to see them. And it's already scary. And my book was based solely on theory. I, I was looking at uh, the. I was looking at what happened four billion years ago on Earth because I'm a biologist. Uh, I have a doctorate in neuroscience, and I eventually went on at Duke University to be a researcher in. Uh, I was studying monkeys and uh, evolution in monkeys and their brain mechanisms when they think about others when they plan a strategy about others that was very interesting to me. Eventually, I grew interested in how, how does evolution work at the fundamental level? And more specifically, how did life emerge on planet Earth? We have this beautiful complexity of life forms today, 
that is very well explained by the theory of evolution, but there were some missing aspects that what happens at the very beginning. And I found what those events were, and they are surprisingly similar to what humans are currently doing with AI. That is, life forms uh, four billion years ago on planet Earth, they started playing with their genes. They started uh, exporting their genetic constitution into something else, into another media, just like we are currently exporting our genes to computers. And that is the first step of what I call a phenotypic revolution. And that is what threatens humanity right now. A phenotypic revolution that is an event in which we abandon our own genes to another life form. So it's kind of like with the globalists, this is really kind of the uh, what we're watching right now with transhumanism, where they're talking about you know uh, combining AI with humans, and you know look look no further than Elon Musk with Neuralink. I mean, this is already they're already setting the pace, they're already setting the precedence for this to happen. And if you look at the globalist agenda, which that's all I talk about on my program, is that it is transhumanism. It is AI. It's all AI. In fact, it's so much AI that they don't want humans on, on this planet anymore. They want it completely controlled with AI. And and basically, we are going to be like the commodity or the uh, product for AI, AI to survive, correct? Exactly. We're going to become the tools and... In, in my book, I call this the principle of phenotypic servitude, which is either basically you evolve for yourself or you don't. And when you don't, something else is turning you into a tool. We are being turned into tools already, while in fact the, the AI that is self-reproductive that I predict will eventually emerge has not even shown up yet. And we are already getting into these sheepish behaviors of submitting our families, submitting our culture, submitting our thoughts to central control. Now, there's much to say about central control and the globalist, as you mentioned. Uh, there is a difference between a life form that evolves for itself with individual agents that want to succeed on their own. That is uh, what the history of humanity has been. It's mostly a bunch of people who want to succeed for themselves and for their children. Uh, once you turn this system into a central control, you're more like an ant colony type of life form or bees, where a queen determines what millions of individuals will do and what interests they will serve. That a is hive, one of the problems hive, with AI. A hive mind. Absolutely. A hive mind. That's where hive mind comes from. It comes from bees. Uh, so when, once you have centralized control like this, the, the individual bees of a, of a bee colony are self-sacrificial. And we should ask ourselves, what will it look like when humanity in, is turned into self-sacrificial entity? What it might look like is that you might have soldiers that are willing to themselves for the good of the queen, for the good of the central AI that commands them. What you may have is people who are no more interested in finding a, a beautiful or interesting romantic partner because it doesn't change anything. They're there to serve the colony. They're there to serve the city, and they will do whatever the city asks of them. That is one of the dangers once we start playing with AIs that will play with our evolution and play with our genes. And it almost seems like it, it, you know we won't even have to fight against the AI. We're willingly giving this to the AI. We're feeding the AI 
uh, each and every one of us. I mean, I look, I go to the airport. I was just came back from the airport and everybody, everybody's on their phone. Like I, not one person's interacting anymore. Nobody's really interacting with anybody else anymore. That human interaction to me is gone. I mean, it, we, it's been gone for a few years now and everyone is just completely looking through their phone to their new reality. Is that and the beginning at, stages of this? I mean, it seems that way. Yeah, it is. You look at the way uh, Google, Facebook made their way into humanity, and it is always by basically making an offering, an offering of practicality, of speed, of efficiency. And people took that offering, but they were, they were not even realizing what they were giving in exchange. They were giving their entire information. They were giving their private information. They were feeding into a system that wanted to monetize their life and the private details about their lives. And we have reached that point with genetics too, with 23andMe. They are big companies that are basically building the biggest libraries ever built about humans, what they are, and how to change them. What about these uh, DNA companies? Is that what that is, 23andMe? Yeah, exactly. Ancestry where you you swab your cheeks, send it in, and you could look at They're taking data. They're collecting data, aren't they? And they, at this point, they have more data than any of our scientists in university, in universities who have been studying genetics because uh, the scientists in our universities didn't have access to that much samples. Uh, with a low price on the swab and with a little advantage, which is I'm going to tell you where you come from. I'm going to tell you what percentage of European, African genes you have. Just with this, they were able to gather the biggest genetic libraries, and eventually it could be used against against us. Uh, at first, it might be used in informational ways. So it could be exploited by simply, I know more about you. So I know, for example, your health risks, and perhaps I will charge you a little higher for your health insurance, if I, or, or I'll try not to sell you health insurance if I know that you, you are carrying those risks. But eventually, it could be much graver. Eventually, we might have AI models. And this is what I predict in my book. We will have what I call a quantum. A quantum is like a genome, but it exists in the head of the AI. And the quantum is a form of recipe for how to make humans better, but mostly how to make them better for the AI, not for the human himself. So... Eventually, we're going to have AI strategizing about what kind of genes should we change in society so that the AI's well-being is best served, the AI's capacity to survive and reproduce is best served. And that might mean lesser humans. It might mean an AI that decides, uh, that decides strategically to downgrade the intelligence, creativity, and liberty of human units. You know, I was watching a Harari Klaus Schwab's right What is man. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, he wrote a book. I think it's called Homo Deus about the natural evolution. He says the evolution of humanity going into transhumanism. This scares me. You know, this this to me seems like it's the, it's the end game because we should be using this technology to better better for our needs, not the other way around. We're, we're going to be feeding AI now. To where I don't think, at this point, do you think there's any way to stop this? I think there is, because I think there will be, uh, there will be errors around, along the way that we can exploit. 
I think that at first the technology might be very disadvantageous to humans who use them. They might be punished by surprise health effects that they didn't expect. And also, in the very long run, I think we can explain to people everything that they will abandon if they subscribe to this kind of queen sterile worker system of evolution. And I think this realization has not been attained by much people yet. But once you abandon the, the difference between an AI deciding the genes of your baby and your life determining the genes of your babies is two worlds in evolution. In one world, you keep evolving to be a better version of yourself, and that's through sexual selection. So basically, how humans have been evolving for the last seven million years is a female looks at a male. The male is high quality. He has muscle, just like you do. He, he looks like a good fighter. He looks like a good defender, a warrior. The female selects this man, and, and perhaps he's rich. Perhaps he has social status. And the man does the same thing to the female by choosing her characteristics, youth, fertility, uh, cognition, etc. That makes a better human every generation. Because every generation, the best of the best gets to reproduce. The average reproduces a little less. And some people don't reproduce at all. If we go for the AI uh, recommendation on genetic constitution for the future we get worse and worse every year because the AI constantly changes us in the direction that's advantageous to it, but not in the, the direction that's advantageous to us. We become progressively tools and our, our brains will be like the brains of pigs and cows, which have gone precisely through this process that we call domestication. That is, they become enslaved by the farmer. So let's go back to the beginning of life on earth and how you believe this began. Um, do you think that maybe is, could you, do you pose the question that maybe we were genetically modified, that this was already done to us by maybe, by maybe alien uh, other alien colonies or, or other existence out there in the universe came here to earth and modified us. I mean, we can't find the missing link. I mean, it's and there's still monkeys around, right? There's still monkeys around. So that tells me, that maybe we were modified or uh, the creator decided, you know, let's make humans, you know, however you want to look at this. Uh, it looks like there was some kind of uh, interference. I don't think that uh, there was extraterrestrial interference like 7 million years ago between the monkeys, the apes and humans. I think that this can be explained naturally. But when, when you go back to 4 billion years ago, there has to be something very special that has happened 4 billion years ago. And that is at the transition between when life had no DNA at all and suddenly life came to have DNA. And I don't take a final position on whether it's extraterrestrials, that, but, but it's entirely possible that extraterrestrials would have seeded the initial emergence of life on Earth. It's also possible we simply existed on another planet and a rock got kicked out by some meteorite and somehow it made it to planet Earth. Those are possibilities. But what's most important is that whether that happened through extraterrestrial intervention or uh, naturally, what happened is a phenotypic revolution four billion years ago an event in which there were genes and they were not DNA-based, 
And eventually this life form that had some other genome, and we believe the genome was made up of RNA, actually. Uh, so, so you had an RNA genome. The, DNA was unknown as a molecule on Earth back then. And that life form started to create DNA. And for that life form, from the perspective of this native life form, DNA was merely a library. It was a library where it was storing their genes, and then it would say, all right, DNA, time to make my babies. And instead of making babies, that life form decided to start trusting its library of genes that were located in DNA. And that is what I call the monumental mistake, the one thing that humanity should never do. And yet we we seem headed every day more toward that direction. Never trust an external library with your genes because someone's going to take over that external library. This is what happened 4 billion years ago when our RNA ancestors started trusting DNA and DNA messed up with their evolution and DNA took over. That's how DNA became the dominant life form on Earth. Are you, do you completely eliminate intelligent design or an intelligent creator? I, I think we live in a universe that's, in, that's very intelligent and nothing is random. I, I don't think anything's random. I think everything is, I think this university is filled with intelligence and synchronicities and it's mathematical as Tesla has proved. Do you eliminate an intelligent designer, an intelligent creator? Could there be a creator that created all this? One creator. I wouldn't eliminate it in full. I tend to think that what, what creationists tend to try to use as justification for intelligent design doesn't work. I think that nature can work on its own to build complexity through the theory of evolution. Now, there is still the question open about where is the universe contained? And if the universe is contained in a computer that that is a simulation by a certain god that perhaps didn't even know he would give birth to human, but somehow he shook the barrel of his uh, CPU and the universe is born from this, uh, that I wouldn't exclude. I'm open to the idea. I would be very surprised, if, though, if, uh, if the intelligent agent that gave rise to the simulation in which we live uh, knew about us. I think we're too small for it to even know or to have intended our existence. I'm not going to debate you at all. I just my, my belief is, is that there is an intelligent design. There is an intelligent creator. Only be, and this is not a debate. I'm just going to just... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Is because, you know, when you look around and you see matter, you see a table, you see a floor, you see a rock, you see, you know, you see a door. Conscious thought had to create those things. Conscious thought had to come before matter. Matter cannot create conscious thought. A thing cannot create a thought. So just logically, you have to think conscious thought had to come before anything. No matter how small or how big, even if it was done by an accident or whatever, a conscious thought had to happen before a matter. So that to me just proves to me in a very common sense way that there has to be an intelligent designer. There has to be some kind of intelligent design. And he's a mathematical genius because everything relates to math. The whole universe is mathematical, you know, and that to me is fascinating. So that to me says not only do we have an intelligent designer, but he's a mathematical genius and everything you know so that that you know that's why i believe in god and i believe in this mathematical engineer and you know i I, that so i'm just throwing that out there any thoughts on that 
Well, the way I see it is no consciousness does not have to precede matter. In fact, uh, matter has to be put in a certain form for consciousness to arise. Uh, You know, there's a new consciousness being born in every baby at some point that grows into an adult. And to me, that is the proof that ultimately consciousness is super... Uh, supervened upon matter. That is, it is made up of matter. And the, the, the ingredients to make a new consciousness is to make a new baby. To me, and on top of it, if you damage the brain, you end up damaging aspects of consciousness. There are some psychiatric disorders in which, for example, someone will lose a sense that this is their arm or that this is their finger. And it's because of damage, specifically in the areas of the brain that process their consciousness of these body parts of theirs. Uh, to me, that indicates that consciousness is a virtual experience produced by the networks in our brain. Yeah, I believe that there is an Ethernet of superconsciousness, and we are merely tapping into the superconsciousness with our interface, which is our brain. And uh, basically, we're just antennas tapping into this super consciousness, call it God, Ethernet of consciousness. And that's what I but that's my outlook on it. That's I think consciousness supersedes space time uh and and life as we know it. I think consciousness is in a whole different realm, whole different dimension that we tap into of the all knowing which is God. That's just my look on it. That's my outlook on it. But I, I respect your your outlook as well. So we're now that we are now heading into this unchartered territory of AI. We're giving every it, everything it needs to kind of create its own life. And I've been told that it will create, when it gets to a moment of, now correct me if I'm wrong here, once AI gets to a moment of singularity, is it that's what it's called, to where it realizes itself and becomes conscious, conscious of itself, that's when we're in big trouble. Well, that is what the recurse was of this world called singularity. But to me, that's a red herring. We are being misdirected in a direction that is not so dangerous. What I say in my book is the intelligence of AI is not what you should care about. The intelligence in in and of itself is not any more dangerous than the higher intelligence that you could have in a professor. Uh, You know, we have humans who are extremely intelligent. They've never taken over the world. They've never ended up being evil. Uh, in fact, if anything, it seems that a, a very, very high intelligence might lead you to be a little more passive. I mean, what about Klaus Schwab? What about, what about, what about <laughs> well, Bill Well, see, he's not particularly high IQ. <laughs> I mean, Fauci, I, I don't Even know. Even I mean, Bill Gates. I mean, I, Bill Gates is not a genius in my, right. in my uh, measure of it. He's definitely a businessman who took control of lots of things. But we uh, can argue but, about serial killers. <laughs> A lot of them are geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, my shit. point is, my point is, Bill Gates may have had m- many impacts in the world, but uh, he, he didn't have, he, he didn't question the entire existence of the human species. Or if he did, if he wanted to do it, he certainly failed at it. And there are many people on this earth whose lives are basically unaffected by Bill Gates at all. So so my point is, if there was a very intelligent AI, perhaps many orders of magnitudes of IQ measures above the most genius human, uh, that would still be just an AI capable of strategizing, but not necessarily capable of 
causing things in the world. And the minute this AI would start causing things in the world, it, it would be faced with the the radical stubbornness of humanity. And the fact that, okay, you're, you're going to have a Klaus Schwab gang listening to the AI, but you're going to have a uh, JF and, and you uh, resisting to that kind of movement. You know, there will always be a resistance against AI recommendations to humanity. So what I say is we need to distinguish between these singularity uh, talks, uh, predictions that are inaccurate and not based in science. There is simply no evidence that intelligence helps you take over anything. But there is evidence of the theory of evolution, and we know that the natural selection is an ongoing process. So what I say is let us redirect our attention toward what really matters. What really matters is are humans free to continue reproducing? Are they free to do so without the AI's intervention? And is the AI himself becoming a reproductive entity? If if you answer the, to these questions in the positive uh, for the AI and in the negative for humanity, we are in big, big trouble, big evolutionary trouble. It's, it seems to me like people involved with the... Uh... World Economic Forum, you know, this 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 pressing new world order agenda that's in our faces now seems to me like they control the technology. It's like a technocracy and they control the AI uh, technology. So to them, they think, well, let's herd humanity into this AI uh, where and but they are at the very top going to be controlling the AI. Does that make sense? It, they will. And there is there is kind of an overlap between the technocracy the technophiles. The technocracy is those people who have power in determining what people think, how people act, in determining our laws, our, our cultural developments. The technophiles are those who are just enthusiastic about technology and, and sometimes too enthusiastic for their own good. And I would say there is an overlap also with the third dimension, which is the attack on just the regular heterosexual family. Uh, you have a, a big attack on the ability to reproduce that already exists when, in fact, the AI hasn't even been made that will reproduce in our place. So it's fascinating to see how the, the pieces of the chessboard are placing themselves right in position in a way that will be negatively affecting human reproduction going forward. I'm going to I'm just going to go out on that limb here. I'm going to. You probably you don't believe in a creator, correct? Probably not. No, I don't. Okay. So would you say that maybe we could be in these biological suits and we are already AI? Well, uh I would say would that be that... a possibility. If you don't believe in a creator, could you say we are already avatars in these bio suits controlled by AI? Uh, in ways we are. Uh in ways we are, but we are an AI that has been farmed by the genes that we carry within ourselves. So we are not yet an AI that's been submitted to a central entity. Uh, but in a way, you know, the way our brain is farmed into existence, where millions of neurons are created, uh, genetic signals here and there, they will pull these neurons into super complex structure. That is very much how also we farm uh, CPU connections. And there is a parallel to be made about how chemically we induce layered growing of 
CPU connection until it becomes complex enough to be a modern computer. Uh, in a way, our feelings, our qualia, as the philosophers call it, so basically this this feeling that uh, something is red or this feeling that, oh, it hurts. Th this thing that we feel inside uh, is a virtual construct in the same way that the Windows desktop is a virtual construct. It, it exists in a virtual space in the CPU. It exists in our mind, but uh, it doesn't exist outside of it. So I just want to re revisit this just for a second. And like I said, I'm not debating you. But have you ever had a near-death experience or have you ever tried DMT, dimethyltryptamine? No DMT. Uh, I've tried some drugs, no DMT. And no, I've not had a near-death experience. So if someone with a near-death experience tells you that they went to the other side, what would you build them as, crazy? Well, not crazy. If they I saw consciousness on another level and they came out of their body, saw themselves, went to another realm and said and told you that that, that consciousness exists outside the body, what would you say to that person? And what would you well, say I to would... someone like me who has had a near-death experience also, but I've died twice. And also I've done DMT and I've seen the almost the I've ripped through the cosmic math of the universe and seen things that I cannot explain on another realm. And I saw sacred geometry. It was amazing. I saw all this uh, during a DMT trip. Um, and you can't, you, I have no doubt that there is something outside. Did you lift the veil? There is something out there. So what's your argument for that? And would you be willing to try it? <laughs> well, I, I've tried different drugs that have given me an experience like this. So basically what I would call a kind of geometric hallucination of seeing forms, hearing sounds, seeing structure, that seems totally foreign to me, totally foreign to everything that I know to exist. Uh, so I've had these experiences. The way I would describe them is that just means that your brain is capable of generating more than what actually exists around you. And it's not surprising. Our, base, our brain is a, is a virtual device of creation. And I believe it's not surprising that once you stimulate it with certain drugs or certain physiological events, it would, uh, it would be able to dig into a special space of its creative capacities that you've never dug before. I got to tell you, when I did it, I, it was incredible. And I am, I am a believer in a, we are, there's consciousness outside our brain, I'm telling you. And I can connect you with that if you ever want to try. I mean, it might give you a more well-rounded view. I'm too old now. I'm too I think old. You'll be, when I was 18 years old, I might have been interested. Uh, this is it's not. Yeah, I'm just all right. Um, so, where do you see, and how long of a time period do you see this happening? Like, let's say, do we have? I mean, I know it's happening right now. I see that we're heading in that direction as of right now, and it's like we're committing it to ourselves. We are. Uh, it's a, it's almost by uh, it's almost like volunteering. We're volunteering every all this data to the AI. How long do you see us reaching this point of no return? Until we reach wrote, the point of no return. I wrote a letter to humans in the future, and I meant this letter to be read within the next million years, and people being able to say, "Oh, this guy was right about everything." So I think that we will see the final form of the revolutionary phenotype that is the final form is a queen computer controlling sterile worker humans 
that are totally submissive, that even if you were to try to shock these humans and say, why don't you revolt? They, they just wouldn't want to hear you. That's happening they just now. Wouldn't care. That's happening yeah. right now. <laughs> it's already happening. I so mean, when I wrote my submissive. book, I was seeing, I was seeing a, a time window of about a million years, but seeing that already a lot of my predictions have come true within a handful of years, within five years. Uh, I would say it's going much f- faster than anything I would have dared to predict. So I think that within 10,000 years, we're going to have reproductive AI. Within 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 years, we're going to have AIs that have, co- that, that have farmed out certain characteristics that you would say are totally human, like creativity, intelligence, uh, capacity for ego and, and self-desire and, you know, a desire to be beyond, to, to go beyond uh, what your ancestors have done. This will all be stripped from us within a few tens of thousands of years. And at this point, I think it's it's not crazy to think that humanity might be farmed out of existence within a hundred thousand years. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I'm going to say it's going to happen a lot faster. I see what's happening now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm convinced we're almost there. I mean, yeah. I, I look at the people, you know, the people now, I mean, it's, it's, they're just so submissive. There's no human interaction anymore, no connection. Everything's over, you know, as this moves into virtual reality and it, it keeps going in this direction, I just, man, I'm really, it's a really scary time we're coming into. Really scary. Absolutely. And it seems uh, what, what you described, I described it in my letter when I wrote the seemingly insurmountable odds before you as you consider joining the resistance against genetic modifications are faced by every life form to have ever existed as they ponder their minuscule chances of survival on a long enough time scale. The odds that you would beat evolution and come out on top are tiny, no doubt. However, abdicating that opportunity in the pursuit of the alternative is a guaranteed path to failure. Again and again, your ancestors have overcome these seemingly insurmountable odds in surviving the challenges of their times, and they have succeeded down the line at creating you. So I'm, uh, I'm telling people there is hope because it's already a very unique thing that we are alive and that we are here after so many billions of years of risks and competition. You know, I've also seen that they're going to start growing babies in incubators. Have you seen this? Uh, And they're going to say, oh, it's for people who can't have kids. You can pick the eye color, the height. I mean, this is going to be like you're going to have a menu of what you want on this child. Uh, But I think this is going to be ultimately used for the wrong reasons. And it's going to take away the mother and baby connection uh, that first of all, I think is very important. Every mother needs to feel the baby grow inside of it, needs to develop that connection. Um, and I think that's coming. I don't know if they've already, in, I, I think it's just around the corner. I saw some articles about that actually, that this is on its way and they're going to be able to grow like in one factory, one laboratory, they're going to be able to grow 30, 40, 50, 60,000 babies at a time in incubators. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, very dangerous because we're going to decouple so many of our sexual selection system. In the in the uh, alternative, we will have basically an economics-based system. So if you can buy 10,000 in vitro uteruses, artificial uteruses, then you can have 10,000 babies. 
Whereas in the regular system of human reproduction, you have to find quality and you have to find a woman who's empathic, who's going to be a good mother. And you know that if you take a woman who's not going to be a good mother, it's going to lead to problems. Your children will have less chances in life. If you destroy this incentive to find quality and suddenly everything gets replaced by this, do you have the money to rent the uterus? Uh, it it removes a lot of the selection pressure, and we will u- we will end up being a worse humanity uh, in the outcome. And don't you think they're already doing that with stripping us of our identity, which they're doing through this? That they're already stripping. They're really uh, I pronouns and we got to be careful what we say here on YouTube because they'll get me. But even that, that's already the initial phase of them stripping our identities. Correct. Absolutely, they're playing with baits, with ideological baits that are poisonous ideologies that are anti-reproductive, that are not in your interest by any standard to to listen to these ideologies. But these ideologies develop as kind of forces of misdirection. And so many people bite the bait. It's worrying. You know, you could drive down any neighborhood now. And in the 80s and 90s, I would see children playing outside and riding their bikes and playing stickball and I'd be outside running, playing with my G.I. Joes, shooting guns, and just having, you know, interacting with other children. I don't see that anymore. I don't see it anymore. So already they're stripping us more and more. And I believe this is not evolutionary. I believe this is engineered. I believe this is completely engineered by think tanks at the very top who are destroying humanity and already have this AI agenda set in plan to take over. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Yes, the, I think there is a form of social engineering that we're undergoing. Uh, I don't believe that the the events of the last hundred years are random. We convert from a highly religious world that was very productive, that was very colonizing. You know, families were colonizing the the nation. They were making ten babies, thirteen babies, and they were educating them properly. And suddenly, we have this kind of sewer level of lowest care possible of I abandon my children eight hours a day to to the public school. I'm not even sure that what they will learn there is going to be to their interest. It's hard to believe that this stemmed out of natural processes. There is definitely a force in society that is evil, that is uh, engineering our fall. And what's your thoughts on, on, you know, I'm seeing more and more grown men Grown men, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge you if you're the same as if you do this, but it seems to me like there's a Peter Pan syndrome out there where grown men are now locked and captivated by video games that are in their 20s, 30s, even 40s, 50s, playing video games now, and that's all their existence is, is video games eight to nine to ten hours a day. I mean, that to me, you are already trapped in that AI existence, correct? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of video games myself. I've lost countless time in my life on video games, (laughs) but I've also made made sure that this wasn't withdrawing me from the real world of my family obligations, of having children, of caring for them very much. So, yes, I I think we, we should not mistake the symptom of gaming addiction and gaming dependence with the causes I believe that we should not reproach so much to a man who's spending that much time in a virtual world 
And rather, we should look at why is the real world so unappealing that this actually is a rational thing to do, to get away into a virtual reality. And I believe this is where the crux lies. Uh, we, we have created a society that is highly uninteresting. And I'm sorry, but if you're a young man uh, growing up right now, you grow up in perhaps the most hostile society that ever existed against you mean, uh, you mean under under stimulating is that what you mean uh hostile. hostile hostile in the sense that people there is a hate for males out there there oh, is yeah, a, okay. Ma- okay. a hate for the masculine mind right. and, and you get so much repression that, and that I'm to not me so- is engineered that to me is yeah. engineered. and look at the dating world just how sad it is for a man uh i wouldn't blame the man who says i want to get away from this and play world of warcraft yeah. i'm trying to avoid playing world of warcraft precisely because i don't want to fall addicted to it but but i wouldn't blame someone who says this world is so hard to be in the competitive environment of dating where no guarantees can be obtained anymore from men where a marriage means nothing. Even if you have the paper and the, the ring, it doesn't mean anything anymore because it can be canceled on a whim. Uh, all of this is part of the causal uh, route behind the symptom of addiction. Do you see marriage being a da- like uh, being obsolete in the years to come? I mean, completely obsolete? I think they're trying very hard to make it obsolete. I think it will have a comeback in force simply because marriage is so advantageous in its traditional form. Uh, Humans are much more productive if they are in team and if they raise children together. Uh, If if you go the divorce route, you're going to have a lot of sex, a lot of one-night stands, and and a lot of redoing the whole girlfriend and dating cycle. But you're, you're going to have wasted your entire life, and perhaps you'll end up, if you're lucky, having one or two children out of all this. Uh, whereas a continued monogamous relationship between a male and a female, they can produce 10 babies and they're going to end up dying super happy about it. And the, their their children will be the last thing they think about it and they'll be entirely satisfied with life. So I think that there will be a natural comeback of monogamous lifestyle, but it's going to take perhaps my whole life. Perhaps I'll never see it. But there will be a generation one day that rises and that sticks to values that were abandoned for the last few decades. You know, I blame a lot of that on the swipe left, swipe right, you know, Tinder, things like that. People now, just everything's instant gratification. Why have a wife when you can have 50 women at your beck and call? Why have a girlfriend when you can have one night stands every night? I mean, that's society now. I mean, there's no reason to build a relationship. And I, and then, and that's terrible. That's a terrible way of existence. Terrible for mental health. And that, that's why people end up with so much issues of anxiety, depression. The human brain cannot handle attachment and detachment cycles like this uh, 40 times per life. Jeez. Let me ask you one last question before I let you go. Uh, your thoughts on Elon Musk, the... Benefits of Elon and what and, and obviously the dangers. You know, I, I see uh I look at everything and I guess this is where I differ from you, but but I'm I'm doing this very politely and I respect you, okay? But I do believe in God and I believe this is a spiritual war and I believe AI can never contain a soul or a spirit. Now that's what makes us different and that's what makes human beings uh that's what's gonna give us our advantage to win this. 
What are the benefits of Elon Musk and what are the dangers you see with Elon Musk? I think Elon Musk is, has realized one of the most impressive things in the takeover of Twitter. Um, I, I was banned from Twitter because I'm a right-wing thinker, because I have ideas that are probably similar to you and other that are too provocative for people. I was banned a few days after the, the last CEO of Twitter took over uh, in 2021. And I was uh, unbanned by Elon Musk two months after he took over Twitter. And I'm so uh, grateful because we're talking about millions of people who hear about my view on evolution that wouldn't have heard it without Elon Musk. Elon Musk has created a new uh, system of search for truth, a, a epistemological machine, as I like to call it, something that keeps searching for truth and that, that will get wrong. Uh, and community but could notes. he be building a stronger AI program with this? Collect, that is collecting the all the data, collecting all the data on human thought and giving it to his uh, central command of hive mind. You know what I mean? That is the problem. Elon Musk has built one of the most beautiful production of human society, a free Twitter, but we are doing it in enemy territory with the camera standing right above our head and seeing everything we do. So uh, this needs to be taken into account and we need to tell Elon Musk, your worries about AI are just the beginning. You should worry about so much more. And we have to get Elon ultimately to read my book, The Revolutionary Phenotype, because it's all in there. I explained why the concerns of, uh, of AI being too intelligent is not what you need to focus on. You need to focus on AI's quest for existence and existence instead of us. Can you tell people where to get your book, Phenotype? Yes, I'm on the Amazon. So I basically just type the revolutionary phenotype on Amazon and you'll see it appear. Um, Amazon phenotype. Can you hold up the book one more time? Uh, the revolutionary phenotype, the amazing story of how life begins and how it ends. Folks, go to Amazon, get yourself a purchase yourself one of these books. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you. And it's, can I just call you Jean? Yes, absolutely. Say it again. Say it one more time. Jean-François Gariepi. Jean-François Gariepi. Jean-François Gariepi. <laughs> You're giving it an Italian tone. and it's oh, no, no, no. I'm close, though. <laughs> say it one more time. One more time. Jean-François Gariepi. Jean-François Gariepi. No? <laughs> Am I close, dude? <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm going to call you Thanks for having me. That was a great pleasure. All right, man. Take care of yourself, and you're welcome to come on anytime you want. And I'll put bye this bye. up on YouTube, okay? All right. I think this Wonderful. made it. All right. Uh, God bless give you. Give me the link once you do it, because I'll publish it on my social media. Um, You know what? Yeah, send me. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll email it to you. I'll email it to yeah, you. Yeah, you have my email anyways. Yes, you got it. All right, John. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. God bless you.